Welcome to Black Hill. Upstairs in the lodge, he wrestles again with the old dilemma, how to recover the sound of a painting. This is more than the mere observing of the painting and the cataloguing of illustrated subjects and objects, water and nightbirds for Daubeny, birdsong and church bells for Constable, the lapping shores of Edward Monk, the rushing steam of Turner. Where is the blaze of light and sound? Where the ache of longing? where the timeless hanging air of an English summer or the cooling night hour grip of death in the heart of France. This cannot be reportage. What is required is to locate the focus through which one can step into the painting, only to return at a later time with a sense of place, a sense of time. Room noise can only be clearly articulated through revealing the impact of its absence during the editing process. Like room noise, what he is after is much more subtle. He must cross the frontier and be guided by sound and music's place and time, the tool of measurement for our discontent. Painting is executed in time, often a lot of time, but it is experienced often in an instant. An academic exercise yielded the information that the average time we spend looking at each painting in an exhibition is seven seconds. Music similarly is composed and constructed in a lot of time but can only be experienced through the medium of the time allocated by the composer to the edited work. He is perhaps contesting that if one is to spend any amount of time before a painting and is seeking in some way to enter the work and return with some captured artifact of memory alluding to its essence, then that looking, that study, that exposing of the interior will manifest as sound. Consider the subtle ferocity of the harvest mites. They insinuate themselves between the glass and the frame, only to become stranded against the mount. Look at the paintings in our country homes, white mounts peppered with the thousand bodies of harvest mites. Like one of these doomed flecks, he attempts to get into the work. The work in question is Ab Eo Quad, a 1956 painting by Leonora Carrington. 
She is an artist he already feels close to because she was, like him, left-handed. Because she was, like him, short-tempered. And because she raised the kitchen table to the status of central altar of human spirituality. She was aligned with the Surrealists, but never read the manual. He suspects that it was an artistic marriage of convenience, not her only marriage of that sort either, but one that allowed a plausible context in which her freebasing alignment of Celtic myth, medieval alchemy, and opaque Christian symbolism roiled and boiled on the page amidst animals real and invented. As Edward James said, her works are not merely painted, they are brewed. The corner of a red room, furnished with a table covered in a white cloth. From the ceiling, a white rose drips water onto a large steaming egg. Other objects on the table include wine, grapes, bread, a pomegranate, and some seeds. There is an abundance of moths, and on the floor a mysterious mask, comprised of dark grasses, gazes off to the right. The set is contained by a fire guard, on which there is an embroidered text, an obscure 14th century alchemical verse. There is little to the casual visitor to suggest a sound field for this rich visual and mentally beguiling scene. The unnerving flutter of wings, a rush of steam. But having committed the visual details in some form to memory, he goes beyond the prosaic representation and feels the room engulf him. He becomes aware of the sound of blood and the crumpled strain of old machinery on the other side of the walls. Metal is being scraped, and the Mayans are piercing their tongues and genitals with obsidian blades and strings of rose thorns, opening portals to the underworld with their slippery, splashing blood. Under the tablecloth, three girls are singing in Spanish. combination of dank Catholicism and humid Mexican bloodlust gives him vertigo, and in the midst of his trance he stoops and sits, not immediately clear if he is in his room or across the frame and into the painting. The room is warm, it has the musty contained air of a basement and sound is curiously muffled, 
in the same way one finds landscapes diminished in resonance by fresh deep snow. The steam rising from the egg seems to echo the sounds of industry coming from beyond the walls and down through the ceiling, a unified breathing of water and steam, a piston, a machine, a lung. Skittering against the somnambulist's breathing, the flickering wings of moths and the splitting of husk-dry cocoons, the thin voices of creatures born in the alchemical fog rising to the ceiling rose. But what of these dark dreams seething from the dark head under the table? Death whistles, shakers, blood boiling and blood cooling. The bloodletting ceremony is drawing to a close and there is a sound of a head being pulped. He could replicate the sound by ripping a cabbage apart. Leonora said, after all, that the cabbage was the true blue rose of alchemy, and it is pouring on the egg. Something in that warm, steaming egg is trying to be born, some agent of transformation so potent in its life force that these wisps of steam grow wings and take flight around the room, coupling with moths, feasting on pomegranate. He moistens his finger and runs it around the rim of the wine glass until it begins to sing, disturbing the opera of little girls under the cloth. Backward symphonies in a transformation mass suck air and blow out harbour tar. The mask under the table the dark grassy head opens its mouth of rose-thorn teeth and bites into his calf. With a start and a sharp breath he is back in his room, seated at his desk. It is late. The window is dark. The candle, now low, reflects back from the black glass. The aches and groans of the cooling house, huge, confused and empty gives the impression of a thousand hard-shell insects looking for a bed. Fuchsia will be home soon. Well, I'm going to go out.